Just a reminder that the Dear Prudence podcast happens twice a week. Slate Plus members get an additional mini episode every Friday. Sign up now to listen at slate.com slash prudipod. Danny Lavery here, and I've got a special announcement for our listeners. Some of you know that I published my latest book in February. It's called Something That May Shock and Discredit You, and it's a collection of essays about pop culture, religion, and transition. Today, I wanted to let you know that for a limited time only, you can get a really good deal on the audiobook, which is read by me. Go to slate.com slash Danny. That's slate.com slash Danny. There's also a link in the show notes of this episode. The audiobook will cost you just $12.99. That's $5 off the list price. You will be hard-pressed to find a better deal on audiobooks that I have read. After you complete your purchase, you'll be able to listen to the audiobook in your preferred podcast player. That's right, the one you're using right now. There's no special app to download and no subscription fees. And there's one more thing you should know. This audiobook sale is brought to you by Slate. That means your purchase not only supports me, it also helps support the important journalism you depend on. So it's a win-win. You save money and Slate makes money. If you've ever thought about checking out my book, there's never been a better time than now. This is a limited time promotion, so don't just sit there. Go to slate.com slash Danny and buy it today. One more time, that's slate.com slash Danny. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence show once again. And as always, I am your host, Daniel M. Lavery, also known as Dear Prudence. And with me in the studio this week is Violet Allen, a science fiction writer based in Chicago, who I'm very excited to have on the show instead of simply uh, trying to get her attention on Twitter all the time. Violet, hello. Hi. (laughs) Hi. Do you feel like I saved the wackiest questions for you? Do you feel special as a result? Do you feel angry with me as a result? I don't know. They seem like good questions. They seem like solid. A couple weirdos. Definitely some weirdos in the mix. But, you know. I'm impressed that you found this one solid because I felt like the first one especially, whatever the opposite of solid is, is how I felt about it. By solid, I mean I can, I don't want to say roast. I don't want to roast these people. I want to help them. (laughs) But there's stuff to talk about, solid in that sense, you know, because some advice is just, you know, they know the answer and you just tell them the answer that they want, you know, but this is like, there are things to get into. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm really excited about that. Um, I am just really excited in general. I'm excited that this is the first time I'm recording the show in like four months where I haven't had the air conditioning like screaming in the background, which means now you can actually just hear the the construction work that's going outside on the street. Um, but still, you know, it's nice to exchange one sound for another sometimes. Oh, that's nice. No more ambient buzzes. Just the buzzes of life. Would you please, Violet, read our very first letter? Because I don't think I can get through that subject line without laughing. The subject line was a lot. Okay. Subject. <laughs> Subject, my wife is too stupid to homeschool our kids. Dear Prudence, I feel like a shit heel. I have a graduate degree and work in finance. When my wife and I got married, we both agreed and she fully embraced she'd be the classic stay-at-home mom. She was literally a beauty school dropout. Yes, I remember Greece. But she's amazing and kind and the woman I knew I wanted to have kids with. We complement each other, and it's a good balance. She helped me in my career, and I want only her. Now, COVID. Earlier in the year, it seemed we were just kind of coasting out the uncertainty until the year ended with our 8- and 10-year-old. Now she's told me due to the continuing uncertainty, she wants to homeschool the kids. Prudy, she can't do it. They're already asking normal questions that have to be Googled or wait until daddy gets home. It's not hard stuff, but not everybody is cut out to be a teacher. I'm terrified of my kids getting sick or falling behind, but I'm more scared of them being taught by someone who knows little about teaching. Help! No, I won't help you. I don't like you. 
Um, I I don't want this guy to receive help. I, I think his problem is hilarious and mostly of his own creation. And uh, I want him to suffer. I just, I don't think he's going to suffer, though. Because that's not a real problem. You know, if your biggest problem is sometimes my kid asks questions that have to be Googled, well, good news. There's Google. You know what I mean? Like, oh, no, she can't, like, recite Marcus Aurelius's meditations off the top of her head. Well, good thing someone wrote it down and it's available for free because the copyright expired. Um, oh, yeah. It's fine. It's Google, man. Google it. Or just, also, beauty school dropout is what really, what does that have to do with anything? I mean, yeah, to me, the issue here is not exactly like whether or not she is a smart or a dumb person or what kind of smart she might be. Um, she sounds like a great lady, frankly. Um, so much as just this idea of like, wow, I married a person whose intelligence I didn't really respect. And now, bizarrely, that's not working out for me. Who could have seen this coming? Like, perhaps it's not so much that you're a shitheel. Perhaps it's more that you are the one who has behaved stupidly. Because you married a woman you thought was dumb. And then you said, well, you can mostly take charge of raising our children. And then 10 years later, you thought, wait a minute. If I think she's dumb and I made her main job raising the kids, what if that has some sort of effect on the kids? They don't teach you about cause and effect in your, in your um, graduate degree, which let's be honest, He's saying it's an MBA. Yeah, I was going to say. PhD. Like, yeah, we both real, know what kind I mean, of graduate real, degree. Quote, unquote. But, you know. It's not hard. Yeah. I have no graduate degrees. I graduated without honors from an evangelical Christian college. I have no legs upon which to stand. But, you know. Well, well I graduated without honors from an Ivy League university. So I can say awesome. this guy is bad, actually. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes is, I believe, the expression. You did something very stupid, and now the exact situation that you created has come to pass. You caused this by marrying someone you thought was a dope and then saying, but it's fine for you to raise our kids. Like, what did you think was going to happen, man? You thought they were just going to ignore her? Especially since he seems to think that, like, her influence, like, he's not just afraid of them, like, falling behind it's that somehow her influence will bring them down to the level of beauty school dropout, which is like, come on, man. What are you thinking? Yeah, and just like, you said you wanted to have kids with her. You should probably have written down or something. If you have kids with someone, they'll probably impart some lessons upon those children. The children will probably learn some stuff from them. That's, that's not an accident. That's parenting. And then uh, it seemed like you were just coasting until the school year ended. So it doesn't sound like you gave the issue a lot of thought. It doesn't sound like you gave a lot of input. It doesn't sound like you initiated a lot of conversations or brought your, you know, MBA business degree brain to bear into problem solving. And now your wife has offered up a suggestion that you don't like. And it's like, oh, how could this have happened? Well, again, let me point you to your own actions. You haven't done anything on this subject. And your wife came up with an idea. And the first idea is not always the one that's going to, like, again, like, just exactly what happened happened. Why are you acting so, like, horrified and shocked? Like, what have you given her as an alternative? What other solutions have you tried to come up with? What research have you done on the subject? What are you willing to do to help teach your kids, man? Yeah. And I also, I guess I just think, like, teaching kids can be really hard. My, my Twitter feed is full of very educated people who are struggling teaching their kids stuff. Yeah, man, like, if your hope is that your kids are going to get out of this without falling behind, like, abandon that idea right now. And I don't mean to say, like, just throw your kids in the backyard and say, come back in five years, let me know what you've done with your life. Um, but they're going to fall behind. There's going to be days when they don't learn like they would have at school because there's no more fucking school. They're going to fall behind. There's going to be stuff that they'll miss that's going to happen. So you need to update your, like, expectations to reflect reality. And if you're like, I need my eight and 10 year olds to be quoting Marcus Aurelius at me and never Googling anything. Like again, reassess, man. Yeah. And also, I mean, I don't know that much about kids, but like, is there really that much? My memory of elementary school is that there was a lot of just learning the same thing over and over again. So I kind of feel like maybe a month, a year, what's it? I don't know. I don't know. Like, 
talk to your wife about books you want the kids to read or think about what things you would like to teach your kids and think of ways that you can ask them questions about it or encourage them to learn about it or ways that you can be something of a participant. Like I'm not saying all this. You have to just say like, great homeschool. The kids have a blast, but certainly I think you can drop the shocked and horrified act. Um, Definitely don't encourage you to tell your wife you think she's just like an amiable moron um, who up until now was fine to like keep your kids like clothed and fed and upright, but now has to be like phased out uh, and and replaced with like an upgraded wife bot 2000 who has like calculus thrown in there. My thought too is like my other thought was like the questions that are like, you have to wait until daddy gets home. He gets home and he's like, well, fuck, I don't know that either. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. That that felt like part of it to me too. Like, I just, do you know the answer to all these questions? Like, so if I were approaching this guy and he hadn't exhausted all of my goodwill in his question, mm-hmm. I would say, like, you're concerned about your wife's ability to do homeschooling? Try to help get her, help her prep. I feel like prep is, like, probably the main thing more than, like, being smart. Like, I'm sure there are websites yeah. and all that kind of business. Yeah, I mean, if she was, like, actually able to help you in your career, she can presumably, like, put a sentence together. Like, you didn't marry, like, I don't know, a a tree with, like, a little self-awareness. You married a human woman who's, like, capable of having conversations and thinking critically and planning ahead. Like, I don't think she's nearly as dumb as you give her credit for. And um, I think if it were me, I would laugh and I would laugh and I would laugh and I would say, I hope your kids grow up to become like trees. Like they're just like, I just want to be a redwood. I don't know why trees are coming into this one so much, but I just hope they reject everything about his idea of what it means to be like a person. Um, and that neither of them go to work in finance. This guy's worldview is, I mean, it's not unusual. He works in finance. I saw this man coming. He remembers the movie Greece. He remembers the movie Greece. And yeah. Yeah. You remember the movie Greece? Great. Here's the answer to your problem. Get into a flying car and fly away from them. Exactly. I don't know. You have a lot of money, man. Like hire a tutor to zoom in with your kids. Like, I'm sorry. I'm done. I don't like this man. I don't want good things for him. I I find his problem hilarious, which is probably not a great way to like start a show. But um, I'm only human. And sometimes I need to laugh. Yeah. I think, I think everyone will be, the kids will be okay. Maybe. I feel like he'll probably say something to the mom at some point. I'm not wishing divorce on any. No, of course. Like, say something. Talk about, okay, what are our goals going to be in homeschooling? What resources are available to us? Um, How can I help you? Of course, have that conversation. You just don't have to tell her you secretly thought she was dumb this whole time. Oh, yeah. I was more thinking that just because he thinks of this wife this way, I feel like it's kind of a matter of time before he says something Mm -hmm. that he shouldn't to her that will lead to troubles. Think about your relationship with your wife and why you think she's not as good as you. Um, If your wife has not already picked up on your contempt for her intelligence, she will. Even stupid people can tell when someone thinks that they're stupid. You know, like everyone can pick up on condescension sooner or later. Even if you're very, very good at hiding it, it will eventually out. And either that will damage the intimacy between the two of you or she will respond with some version of like, well, I knew that I have contempt for him, but he's got a lot of money. So I found myself a great way to not have to get a job myself, in which case, you know, who's, who's the idiot there? Um, I would, I would suggest that it is not her at any rate. Your kids are going to fall behind. It's fine. You can also talk to your wife about your concerns about homeschooling without saying you're a big old dum-dum and I'm worried you're going to fall over. Um, and that's all I have to say to him. Congratulations on your MBA. The subject of our next letter, which is a little more serious. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring some more of my... This is a serious one. Yeah, this is a real problem. Um, my, my full self to bear. The subject of this one is can't leave. Dear Prudence, my girlfriend and I have been fighting a lot because of the lockdown. We're basically living in each other's pockets. Sometimes I leave the apartment and drive around to cool off. My girlfriend hates when I do this. She calls it cowardly. The last few times we have fought, she has hidden my phone and keys. I'll tell her to give them back and she'll refuse. 
I've locked myself in the bedroom and just straight up left the apartment to go hang out in the parking lot. My girlfriend has a short fuse, but she's also tiny. I could hurt her by accident. I grew up with alcoholics who love to abuse each other. It makes my anxiety go into overdrive when I can't escape. I have explained this all to my girlfriend. I told her it was borderline abusive and she cried. She told me that was impossible and I needed to see that when I leave, it makes her feel abandoned. I was hurting her. I know this will go away when everything goes back to normal, but as much as I love her, I can't live like this. Help. That last sentence really troubled me. Oh, yeah. That's normal. Mm. Do you share any of his uh, belief that when this all, quote unquote, goes away, that it will just be as if none of this happened, they can forget about it, let it go, move on? Oh, not at all. Not at all. I mean, there are a number of concerning things. It's all concern, really. Yeah, what concerns you the most? It's hard to pick one. I mean, I mean, for one, just straight up, he says borderline abusive. It's just abusive. No, no question. Yeah, hiding someone's keys. Yeah, yeah, that's like that's the biggest red flag I can think of, short of actual physical violence, like preventing you from being able to leave. Like, come on. Yeah, I thought the sentence where he said he was afraid of hurting her was kind of weird. I didn't know what. He meant, like, is he afraid that she'll attack him and he'll defend himself? I, I, yeah, that was, whole thing just seems like, I mean, you need to not be together, (laughs) right? Yeah, this to me does not feel like, um, I mean, I think there's lots, both of them could potentially learn about different strategies to conflict resolution in the future, but Nothing about this feels like, oh, this is a relationship that's really worth saving um, that will be able to like pretty easily like return to safety. I, I, I have to say, I think my general rule for stuff like this is if one or both parties has a lot of trouble adhering to basic principles of safety and respect in, in conflicts or in arguments, that is not worth putting in the work for. That is worth getting away from each other. Um, and then if it's anything short of that kind of safety, freedom of movement, and you both want to do a lot of work, I say do that a lot of work. But yeah, as as you were saying, the short fuse, but it's also tiny. I was like, I could read that as either she has a short fuse, meaning she's often getting up in my space, um, trying to provoke me, potentially trying to get physical with me. And I'm really worried that any attempts to defend myself because I'm so much bigger would hurt her. Or if it was more along the lines of she provokes me emotionally and I'm worried one day I'll snap and just smack her. Um, I don't I don't know that we have enough information here to make a ruling one way or the other. So I'll just say, you, you say that often during fights, you become worried about the possibility of physical harm. That's not good. I, I think the thing that concerns me the most was that when the letter writer said, when you hide my keys and tell me I can't leave, uh, that's abusive. And she says, no, you don't understand. Um, That's not possible. First of all, yes, it is. It's always possible, unfortunately. And the other thing is that her response to that was, when you leave, I feel something that I find so overwhelming and unable to regulate myself that I can justify any action. Like basically what she's saying is like, no, 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 you don't understand. I feel like I have to do this, which is not reassuring. It's not exculpatory. It doesn't justify it. It's really worrying. She's saying like, no, 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 I feel so out of sorts when you leave that I should be able to hide your keys because it's impossible for me to feel this way. And that's just worth doing anything or crossing any line to get rid of that feeling. So what she's basically saying is like, yes, I sometimes feel in a certain way that means I will do anything. And it's okay because I feel so bad inside and that's your fault. And that's not to say it's necessarily a great strategy. I don't know. There's lots of ways you can leave an argument that might be more or less upsetting to somebody else. Um, I could definitely see a version of like, we've been fighting for an hour. I need to go clear my head. I'm going to take a walk. I will be back later versus like just walking away in the middle of a sentence versus like screaming and storming out. Again, we don't have that information. So I'll simply say, I'm not going to try to make any kind of a ruling about whether or not the way in which he's leaving is as good as it could possibly be. I'll simply say, you do have a right when an argument's just like kind of going nonstop to say, we need to cool down and I need to take a walk. And if your partner says, not only is that impossible, it makes me feel so bad. I'm going to start hiding your keys that's just a, that's one of those things where you say, we, we're not going to come back from this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I just think it seems like they're 
their coping mechanisms are so opposed to one another that it's hard for me to imagine any kind of finding a middle ground or working through it because it's just like, like, yeah, like you say, it's hard to like judge from the letter on some of these issues, but sort of either way, it's really bad. Hiding the phone and the keys at the same time. So it's like, not only can you not leave, you can't even contact somebody else. There's not a middle ground with that. There's, I have a right to basic privacy and alone time and somebody else saying, not when I feel upset, you don't. And there's no middle ground there. So this fantasy that things are going to go back to normal, I I don't think is one that you should cling to. Um, I I think this will come up again in other ways. And I think that you need to tell someone else in your life what's going on so that you're not keeping this a secret for her. And I think you need to go. Oh, no, absolutely. Like my actual advice is just like, leave now. Like now, just as soon as you can. Like there's no... You can't live like this. You said it yourself. And it's like, it's not going to get better. I mean, I know, you know, quarantine, it's a stressful time. You might believe that, oh, when things are normal, it'll be calm. But like, if you're actually planning any kind of life together, things will not be calm pretty often. Life is filled with stresses. And if this is like, what's going to, this is not, even if it never gets worse than this, which I think it probably would if you stay. Yeah. But even if it never gets worse than this, this is still very, very bad. Yeah, you got to go. I'm so sorry. She's not going to like it. She's going to try to tell you you're not allowed to do it. She's going to tell you that you're abandoning her, and I want you to be prepared for that. So I want you to, again, ask for help from the people in your life who are going to be there for you and who can support you and do what you have to do to get away from her because you need to. I think we should move on to our next letter where I I think it's a little bit less critical, but spoiler alert, my advice is going to be very similar. And I think it's your turn to read if you don't mind. Okay. Subject, long-term boyfriend, horrible sex. Dear Prudence, I've dated my boyfriend for the past six years. We are completely in sync on everything except for our sex life. We started dating when we were very young. 15 and 16, and I didn't know anything about pleasure when we started having sex. Sex with him includes jackhammering, fingering is rapid and produces no response, and oral from him is a slobbery mess that literally feels like nothing. When I was young, I thought this was normal, and unfortunately I played along, including fake moaning and orgasms. This has carried through to the present. I have never orgasmed with him or even in his presence. I didn't even achieve orgasm until a few months ago when I experimented alone with a sex toy. I decided that I can't keep faking it as it's not fair to him or me. I take responsibility for my part in this and for not addressing it sooner. How do I tell him I'm not satisfied and that every moan slash orgasm I've had has been fake? So I'll start by just saying, I I think it is good in general to say I want to take responsibility for my own pleasure and for speaking up in my sex life. I also want to say, if you've been dating this guy since you were 15 and you've been dating for six years, I, I, I would not encourage you to take on too much responsibility about the idea of being 15 years old and not knowing what to say when your partner started jackhammering you and just going with, I guess this is fine. There's a limit to how much responsibility I would put on you in that moment. I I don't want to say like, don't take responsibility. It's society's fault. But let's throw in a little bit. It's society's fault. You know, I mean, we we don't live in a society where much sex ed comes uh, dedicated towards self-advocacy, talking about pleasure, telling somebody who you like love and are doing something vulnerable with maybe for the first time in your life that this isn't working, which is a difficult thing to do, especially if you're 15 and just generally is not geared towards like, hey, young women, think about yourselves and pleasure when you're sleeping with your boyfriend, which again, is not to say that such things are are impossible or that all people who start having sex for the first time are like doomed to repeat 
old patterns of, of sexism and what have you. But yeah, you didn't do that in a vacuum. That didn't come from nowhere. And, um, you know, without saying like, oh, he must be a terrible chump um, and a jerk who doesn't care about you. Because like, you know, maybe he had every reason to think that what he was doing was working and thought that he was being considerate. Um, I don't want to be so hard on him that I'm like, he should have magically seen through the faked orgasms and known that you didn't like it. Because one person's jackhammering is another person's like great vigorous lovemaking sometimes. Um <laughs> I, I never want to make a ruling one way or another on jackhammering. I don't want to. I don't want to be either pro or anti jackhammering so much as like, well, you know, use it judiciously. Yeah, there's a place for everything in the world. All of that to say, I think I, my my worry here is that this person is going to do the thing that I think I hear from people often, which is like, okay, I've just acknowledged to myself that I've been faking it and that I don't want to keep doing that. Um, I also really don't want to have this conversation. What if I like gradually phase it out? I feel like I hear from like a lot of people think this will be the solution to my problems is I will slowly, slowly, slowly stop faking orgasms until enough time has passed that my partner just forgot that I used to come every time we had sex and now I don't. And then I'll re I'll incorporate like, oh, maybe try this. And then like over the course of a year, I can stop doing this, but we'll never have to talk about it. Do you know that that like wishful thinking I'm talking oh. about? That kind of thing, certainly. No, I no. I think she definitely needs to have a conversation about this very directly, frankly. Cause I and I feel like, to be honest, I think she's in a better position than a lot of people in that she had her first orgasm ever, like a few months ago. So she can be like, yo, I didn't know what sex was. Like, like, I didn't even know. Like I wasn't yeah. fake. I thought it was real. I thought I just thought that's what it was. But then I was wrong. We can figure out what it is together. Oh, interesting. Interesting. I am I'm not saying that'll work, but in terms uh-huh. of a conversation, I feel like that works better than just being like, yeah, from the beginning I knew you were bad, but I just like went with it. Yeah, I I am sort of tempted by that because I, I appreciate the face-saving appeal. But I think the problem here has been for a long time that she has been so worried about displeasing or upsetting him. And again, that doesn't seem to be coming directly from him. It doesn't seem like he was saying, if you don't come right away, I'm going to freak out so much as just like an internal sense of pressure to be pleasing. So I worry that if if I suggest anything here that's about saving his ego or saving him from embarrassment, um, that that's going to continue the problem in some sense. And I, I would simply ask, like, if if the situation was reversed and your boyfriend had been faking it every time since you were 15 or 16, even if you were embarrassed and even if it kind of hurt your feelings, even if it hurt your feelings a lot, you know, would you rather have him just be straightforward with you and try to figure out if there was a way you could move forward with it? Or would you rather he give you a partial version of the truth that kind of made it sound like he just didn't know what an orgasm was and he had just discovered it and was now like, what feels to me like kind of an obvious lie, but that you can both say, sure, we pretend to believe it. And I just, I want, I I guess what I'm driving towards is I think you're going to break up over this. And I think you probably should, even if he's a really nice guy, I don't really know how you come back from the last six years of sex were all fake. Not that every moment of it was fake, but in in one pretty big sense. Um, and I just sort of think that that's fine. I think it's fine that you break up with your boyfriend who's terrible at fucking you at 21 years old. I think you should break up with him and go date a lot of other people and fuck a lot of other people. And I want to like help you get there indirectly. So maybe this is my chance to come out and be direct and say, even if he's terrific and even if he was genuinely doing what he thought you loved, I think you should tell him. I think you should be pretty straightforward. And I think you should prepare yourself for the fact that he will be kind of upset and that's okay. But that then also you need to try and see if you can have sex again under different circumstances or jack off in front of him and show him what works for you. And if you can move past that, great. And if, as I think is likelier, he's really like, oh no, this is so upsetting. I can't believe that you didn't love the slobbering. I'm (laughs) devastated. Then you'll eventually get so sick of it that you'll fucking dump him and go sleep with a lot of other people and figure out what you like. Yeah, I mean, I'll say that I was, I don't think she should lie or exaggerate. 
I was kind of exaggerating for comic effect. Um, oh, okay. Um, so like you shouldn't. No, it's fine. It's just like, like don't, yeah, don't. But I just think like as a general idea, it the conversation is probably easier to have than you might be afraid, just from the fact that you're figuring things out. But yeah, do do not lie or exaggerate for this dude's feelings. Okay, I, I just, see. So it was more like I didn't realize how it was going to work. Not like I didn't, I literally didn't know what an orgasm was and all yeah. those times I thought I was orgasm. Oh, yeah. yeah I no. see. I was just, I yeah. was putting it in those terms because I was, I was just having too much fun. This is a real advice yeah. show. Got to remember that. <laughs> but anyway, I feel like 20-year-olds think that they want to stay with the person they've been with since they're 15, but... You know, it's probably better to like, you know, see what's out there. And I guess that's probably not the advice this person wants to hear. (laughs) But, you know, you can try to make it work with this young man. Get better with sex. I mean, I feel like it might be an opportunity to learn what, you know, you like Mm -hmm. in terms of with somebody who also doesn't know anything. And then who knows where that goes. Maybe. I don't know. It's hard because I really don't want to default to the sort of like, well, obviously no one likes rapid fingering, sort of like um, everyone likes one thing. Everyone knows what that is. And people who don't pick up on it are always like at best deluded chumps. Um, In part because I, I really do know a lot of different people who love really different stuff about sex. And there are absolutely people who love a slobbery mess. And then there are some of us who feel like not so much. Um, So I I don't want to default to this guy must be a monster and an asshole or a dummy because he didn't know. But it's also possible. You know, it's genuinely possible. He was super incurious about your experience and um, was just like, you know, playing Atari with your clit. And then when you like shouted at him, he was like, I'm doing great. I mean, I'm sure, frankly, I'm sure this guy is pretty incurious, but that's teenage dudes usually are. Teenage cis dudes, at least. Like, that's how it goes. I mean, I don't want to go into anything autobiographical because that's nobody's business, but I will simply say that it's time for the next letter. (laughs) You'll all just have to wonder if I faked it with my high school boyfriend. He was so handsome. The subject of this next letter is ill-timed crush. Dear Prudence, my boyfriend Steve is gay. I am bi. The, quote, light of his life is Ashley. They both bonded because of the small town hellhole they grew up in. Steve and Ashley love to dress up and go out to dinner and dancing. They put on a big show of flirting with one another. It's fun and lighthearted for them and have lived in each other's pockets for 15 years. Ashley has also happily embraced me, which includes the flirting. She's very attractive. So when she bats her eyes and says that I look good enough to tempt her, she's asexual, it has an effect on me. Steve is there when this happens, and it doesn't bother him. We're almost always a trio, especially since quarantine kicked in. Ashley comes over and Steve cooks, and we dance or play games or just hang out. I feel like poison. I know that this will blow up. Steve isn't open to anything more than monogamy, and Ashley will not react well to any advances. It doesn't stop the dreams. It doesn't stop the desire. I'm going to ruin the best relationships in my life because of this fucking crush. How do I get rid of it? Do you think that's the right question? Do you think the right question is get rid of the crush, keep everything else as is, don't talk about it, or do you see another way through here? I don't know. I mean, I guess it's... This question was probably the hardest for me to sort of have just like a clear answer because there's so much that could be going on under the surface. It's just sort of like, I mean, I feel like I guess my most, my gut advice is just stop hanging out with her so much <laughs> and just see how you feel when it's not like, because I feel like in quarantine, like, because people are quote unquote living in each other's pockets, which is a phrase mm-hmm. that people like this week a lot. Yeah. <laughs> because of that, like, I feel like it's easy to feel like you have a crush on somebody when you only see like three people. 
this is one that I do think like could be very different when things go back to quote unquote normal. At the same time, it's clearly like hurting you and these are real feelings. So it's like, maybe you should talk to your partner. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll, I'll say my first most straightforward advice would be if you just like don't want to go into kind of the other psychosexual dynamics here, which I would totally understand. I think all you have to do is say to Ashley, I love that you and Steve have that flirty relationship. It's not working for me. I would really appreciate it if you would stop making jokes about how I could tempt you. Um, I love spending time with you. I love our friendship. I'm not saying that you have to suddenly treat me like a business acquaintance, but I, I, I want you to stop those jokes. That would be fine. You would not need to ask Steve's permission to say any of that. If Ashley is as good a friend as you say she is, her response will be something like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize you got it. And she'll be a little mortified for a little while and she'll get over it. Oh yeah, absolutely. The flirting, that's an easy surface level fix for some of the issues. I just think that seems like there's some deeper stuff going on. But yeah, definitely the ending the flirting is something you can do with no trouble. And you don't have to do it in a way that makes it clear, like, oh, obviously, like, it's because I'm kind of in love with both of you and I wish we could do, like, a slow dance together. Um, It's not tipping your hand. It's not inherently going to make her think, like, oh, my God, you must have fallen for me. Um, Lots of people would just say, I don't want to have a flirting relationship with my partner's best friend. I I really like you and I like joking around together, but I do want to have a line and here it is. That would be fine. And again, you would not need Steve's permission to say that. Um, Even if Steve were to say something like, oh, it's fun. I like it. Then you could just say, I don't. I need you to stop. Like, You could disagree on that subject and that would be fine. You would have every right to still push for it. I feel a little bit, as you were saying, like my hands are kind of tied here in a couple of different respects. One of them being like, what is Steve's idea of monogamy? If he refers to this person as the light of his life, um, if they often like create some version of a date, you know, getting dressed up, taking each other, dancing, flirting in front of everyone. And he also expects that that will extend to his partner. Like, and I don't want to say like, obviously he just really wants all three of you to like be in a triad and triad triad. And that's going to solve all your problems. I'm not saying that, but it is very like, what he has invited you into is in a lot of ways not a monogamous relationship so much as a big dancing around this one line. And it's like, well, as long as nobody is talking about sex, this is what monogamy looks like. But I I, I read this letter and I think like, I know a lot of monogamous people who would say, no, thank you. That is not monogamy. Um, and so I, Again, not to say like you should go tell him he's a hypocrite or or that the solution is for for all of you to denounce monogamy. It's just like um, he is creating a situation where non-monogamy is definitely like it's knocking at the door, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, it definitely seems like sort of, you know, a romantic thing between, what was it, Steve and Ashley? And I can see this guy kind of feeling this dynamic, kind of wanting to be a part of it. But it doesn't seem like Ashley or Steve actually want that. They just sort of enjoy their thing with this guy sort of attached. Not that they don't have like genuine feelings, but just that like, they're not considering the writer's feelings, which, you know, isn't not necessarily like a cruel way. They're making assumptions, I think. As you say, it's not necessarily cruel. I, I can see actually some connection between uh, Steve and Ashley and the boyfriend of the last letter where they may have good intentions. They're simply making assumptions that somebody else is enjoying the same thing that they're enjoying because they're having such a nice time and nobody else is yelling like, this sucks. Um, but that's not the same thing as checking in, uh, asking questions, asking open-minded, curious questions, and like giving someone else a chance to say something potentially fraught, which not everyone does well. Oh, yeah, exactly. I think it's just, you know, 
like like you say, I find a lot of times when people are having a lot of fun, they assume that other people must also be having fun. And if you tell them, they'll be like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, I, I mean, I think the real issue here is that Steve should talk to his partner about his feelings. Like, I feel like if his partner, like, respects him, he'll be able to take it in, you know, take it in. I mean, no one, I mean, I don't want to say no one. If you're a, a monogamous person, you might not love hearing that your partner has a crush on someone. But being able to sort of respect, like, things get complex and they're coming to you with, like, yeah. things. And, yeah, I think talking about it is the actual solution. Yeah, and, like, if if Steve were, you know, in this relationship with you saying, this is the light of my life, this is the woman who's basically going to be at all of our dates all of the time, and she and I are going to wear, like, matching Victorian dancing costumes, and she's going to periodically say, like, I wish I could fuck you. No, I don't. You know, and then you say, I've developed a crush on Ashley. And he's like, oh, no, my monogamous feelings are hurt. I would say, eat shit, Steve. Like, You said that much pithier than I did. I didn't want to be mean, but yeah, Again, Steve I don't could want to eat say shit like if he's an asshole. Yeah, I don't want to say like they created the situation. They're you know, like forcing you to have feelings. I, I don't mean it in that sense. I simply mean like they have both crossed a number of boundaries without checking in and kind of assuming that you love it. And if the idea of saying this has had an effect on me, I've developed some feelings. I'm having a difficult time resulted in him or her or both of them saying like, whoa, where the fuck did that come from? How could you? That's so upsetting. Then I would say that that would be very hypocritical and I think short-sighted. Again, it would remind me of another letter, which is the first one, which is like, you you have certainly created a situation wherein it is not impossible that somebody might develop feelings. Like, um, not that it was inevitable, but certainly if you put a you know, beautiful, incredibly flirtatious person in front of somebody who's, uh, you know, dating someone close to them. And you're just like, it's going to be, you know, like Corey and uh, Sean and Topanga from Boy Meets World all the time, um, which was, I think, really, really my first introduction to uh, an unhealthy triad, but that was very appealing nonetheless as a young person. Really? A television program about appealing? some children who were friends. I, mean, I know, we I know all, quite a bit about Boy Meets World, actually. actually. But... You do remember then Corey and Topanga and Oh, Sean. yeah. I mean, I think I maybe had a different read on the situation, Go which on. is that it was, I mean, I guess it's still an unhealthy triad, but it's very much seemed to me that like Corey and Sean were deeply in love with each other, mm-hmm. but were, you know, just chained by heteronormativity, as many of us are as young people. Mm-hmm. And Topanga is like a convenient, like, as long as Corey's with Tabanga, we don't have to think about our feelings. <laughs> Listen, that that is, I think, very much covered by the unhealthy triad uh, dynamic. I think you and I are very much in agreement. Uh, like, you know the episode front. where Sean kills everybody to make sure? The that, Halloween episode, yes. Yeah, because they have to be together so much. Mm-hmm. What a show. Yeah, yeah, what uh, a show. Did you ever see any Girl Meets World? Didn't. It's I didn't. truly insane. <laughs> Do they ever bring Angela back? Because I loved Angela. Yes. They, they, there's a brief. They brought everybody back except Rachel. Angela comes and like explains. Oh, the redheaded lady? Yes. Yeah. Angela comes and like explains some problem to Sean about why he's bad at relationships. Wow. It's. Wow. Oh, Anyways. Okay, okay. So to get back to this. <laughs> Actual problem. Sorry, I'm like, I have like eight different tabs open now of everyone who's ever been on that show. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and I'll just say, you know, because obviously part of me also feels a little bit like there might be a way that if you maneuver this, all three of you can just be together in a sort of complicated way. Um, and I don't want to push too hard for that, but I do want to leave open that possibility that in some ways you're already in an unofficial three-way relationship and it it would not be outrageous or awful of you to suggest, Hey, what if we, what if we actually give it a shot? Sometimes people like those dynamics because they never have to name them or think about them too hard. And if you suggest that you do, then they really flip out. Um, and, and I also don't know to what extent 
sometimes people make jokes about being quote unquote tempted because they feel so comfortable and secure with where they're at that it feels light. And sometimes people make jokes about being quote unquote tempted because they are a little surprised to find something changing and they don't quite know how to acknowledge it straightforwardly. And they want to test the waters, see how it feels, see what happens. It's good not to make assumptions there, I guess. That's all I'll say on that front. Yeah, I guess in, at least in my experience, I've encountered very little joke flirting that isn't kind of just flirting. Like, maybe, I mean, maybe, I don't want to say that Ashley is definitely secretly down or wants to do anything. It's just that, like, the way you describe the flirting just sounds Mm -hmm. like, maybe they're not even aware of it, but it sounds like there are more feelings going on than are being acknowledged. Right. And of course, that's tricky because it's not as if you can say, like, I think you really feel something. You know, all somebody has to say to that is like, no, and you you just you have to kind of leave it there. Um, So it's not so much that I think we're saying this because we think the letter writer should say, like, I think you really do want to have sex with me. And I think you and Steve and I should all talk about it so much as people, I think, usually flirt with someone that they want to flirt with. Even if there's the cover of a joke, it doesn't always mean that they know what they want from that person or that they're interested in pursuing what they want. But again, it 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 does. It's it's something, not nothing. She's she's pursuing or asking for a certain type of emotional connection with you that you are no longer comfortable giving without having at least a conversation about what it means. And you don't have to bring up the possibility of all three being together if that's not something that you think will work out. But it is, I think, you're not like, you're not poison. I guess that's what I've been also like bringing this up for is like the sense of like, I feel like poison is like, the problem is just me. Steve and Ashley had a great will and grace thing going on that totally worked for them. And then like dumb bisexual me came along and like had feelings about it and ruined everything. And I just, I, I want to push back against the idea that like they had a great thing and then you were just too dumb to figure out what it really meant. Like they had a dynamic that worked for them that would not have worked for everyone. They threw you into it and gave you a part without, you know, checking to see if you'd shown up to audition for that particular role. And now you're noticing that it has an effect on you, which of course it does. None of that's shocking. None of that's poisonous. None of that makes you bad. It certainly doesn't invalidate anything about anyone else's identity. If you have feelings, um, you're not you're not trying to kick Ashley out of the asexual club and you're not trying to tell Steve he must, you know, join the bisexual club and have sex with her. You're simply naming the things that you feel. Yeah, exactly. I do think that is a a general problem, I think especially amongst young people. I don't know how young they are, but the idea that like, you know, being honest about your feelings is somehow a transgression in itself mm-hmm. and that therefore you have to just keep it bottled in and then it's this big dramatic thing. And it's like, if these people really care about you, you should be able to say like, hey, I have these feelings. I recognize that, you know, maybe you don't actually, actually want these things to happen, but I feel like I need to talk about it because this is a real meaningful thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I think my last thought here is just like, again, without saying Steve and Ashley must be like malicious jerks who delay in jerking around. I'm I'm not saying that, you know, I would question that the best relationships of your life are ones that make you feel like poison. And again, that's not to say they're completely responsible for your feelings. They're not, but, um, it is not ruining anything, to be honest. And the dynamics that you have described here were mostly handed to you pre-made rather than something that you said, you know, it sounds like a great idea is if we all three went dancing and then stared into each other's eyes and said how much we tempt one another. And then we all just go home and take cold showers. Like your feelings make a lot of sense. They are not awful or shocking. And um, for you to say, you know, you know, Jane Eyre, Jane Eyre style, like I am not an automaton. Um, that is okay. 
So you don't have to share all this if you just want to tell Ashley, stop flirting and move on. But if you think that these feelings are going to feel overwhelming and that you will always feel like you are holding poison inside, I think it would be better to start having these conversations, even if it made things difficult for a while. And even if it eventually meant that you and Steve broke up, because if the alternative is just you sort of like quietly hate yourself all the time and whenever Ashley's over, like longing music plays in the back of your head um, and you're envisioning like the three of you dancing around a maypole together. That's not going to be the best relationship for you. And I think that's it. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I'm sorry. I also wish I could give you the like cute fan fiction ending that's like, oh, some that, somehow you three can all be in a relationship that incorporate and accommodates everyone's identity to a degree that feels right to them. And that also means that it's always just like really hot and really fun. And I do believe that's sometimes possible, but maybe not in this situation. Yeah, but... Uh... I think he'll feel better if he just talks about it. And at the bare minimum, cut the flirting. <laughs> bare minimum. Yeah. Yeah. You can't do Tell anything else. Cut, ask for there to not be flirting. Yeah. Saying to someone, I love you very much. Please don't bat your eyes at me. It's uncomfortable. Super okay. Yeah. So. Violet, I'm so glad that you were here today. And I'm especially glad that you were able to bring the sort of like science fiction, speculative, imagine a better <laughs> world, imagine a more conclusive and uh, uh, mindset to bear here because it, it really bore fruit, I think. Oh, well, I was glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so, so much. And I hope we get to have you back on the show again soon. for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. It's like that thing of like, oh, we're so progressive, we're accidentally racist again, where it's just like any invitation to learn more about somebody else's culture is inherently suspect and we should just all keep to ourselves because it's all bad and it's all evil and there's no way for us to interact or like learn from one another or share a, a, an event um, that's not just so bad and fraught and we're all going to get in trouble that we'd like the best thing to do is not be friends with this girl or go to her parties. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash prudipod.